Hello, this is Bill Chambers, and welcome to the Faster Podcast. My objective is to interview the most interesting people in the rowing world, and in the next 45 minutes, get insights and even discover how it is that they do what they do, what makes them unique and fascinating, their success mindset, and certainly what they do to go fast. Hi guys, I'm Bill Chambers and you're listening to The Faster Podcast. In today's episode, I have a conversation with the five times world champion and Olympic champion, Thomas Poulsen, now head coach of Danish rowing and coaching Sari Nielsen in readiness for the Olympic Games in Tokyo in 2021. In today's conversation, you'll find Thomas on uh, an island in Denmark in a cabin and myself in Switzerland. So there's a little bit of a delay on the phone, apologies for that, but we have some good fun. We talk about coffee, we talk about the routine around coaching, and Thomas goes into some detail about what it takes to go really fast and to move a boat quickly. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Thomas Poulsen. When we are here, it's actually when we go in this uh, cabin by the sea, it's because actually we don't want to sit with our phones, our tablets. We go out here and in the cabin I have, there's no power, there's no water. So it's very simple. We have a solar cell on on the roof to make uh, a small power supply for um, so we can charge our phones. But so there's no power here. And that's what we like because it's very simple. So when we come here, it's actually just to be together and not sit with our phones and watch Netflix and all that. So here we go Excellent, on the cabin so what did just you to eat be this together. Morning? What was your morning routine like? There's, when I go up here, I, here in Denmark, you know, we have four o'clock in the morning. It's light because we are so up high north. We have So the sun is up four o'clock in the morning. So at five o'clock, it's fully daylight. So because there comes daylight through the windows, I, I wake up and then I go up, uh, go out, sit mm-hmm. down on a bench and look on the sea. Just sit here relaxing. No one is awake. I'm alone. Just sit and watching on the sea. And then I go down, make a cup of coffee, go up again, looking on the sea. And then when the kids wake up, we will cook some eggs and make some breads and just relax eating breakfast together. Beautiful, mate. I think we're, 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 all, we're all lovers of our so, coffee. That's probably one of yeah. the first things I do too is a nice double espresso and get up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I have a, just because it's here, it's very simple, I have a little coffee meal. So each time I make coffee, I sit, you have, I have mm-hmm. a coffee meal, you, you use your hand Drilling and milling the the coffee beans, and it takes about ten minutes. Ten minutes where you just sit with that in your hands and crushing the coffee beans. It's so mate, where did quite you learn to make coffee? Is this something you taught yourself, or are you a coffee connoisseur? Yeah, I've, uh, many many years ago when I was young, I was on a in Denmark. There was a coffee enthusiast, and I, he had some courses, and I took one of his. Uh, coffee tasting course 
just to taste how coffee could taste if you different flavors and how hot the water was and all that kind of stuff. And that where my it it like took my attention about on and, coffee. And so what kind of and you just so, you what kind of beans do you? Use? I just well it, I try different kind of beans just to have some different you know flavors and taste. So uh, actually I don't have a favorite. I don't like coffee that is bitter. I like coffee that have a more sweet, so sweet more the taste. Arab, more the Arabica rather than the Robusta, right? Oh. Yeah. Did you, were you a bit of a coffee yeah. fiend when you were rowing in the Coxus Four and eight? No, 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 no. I just drink coffee, you know, <laughs> to wake up in the morning. <laughs> now, it's, now it's more like because I like the routine of making the coffee and the enjoying sitting and drinking the coffee. When I was young, it was just, you know, to so wake when up you, when and you're have sitting energy. down on, on the lake and, and drinking your coffee, what are you what are you mainly thinking about? Thinking about the uh, the rowing, the coaching or what's going on? Yeah, actually when I is is relaxing with a cup of coffee, it's actually yeah. to get away from rowing. Yeah, because if you if you are thinking of rowing all of the time, you know, it's too much. So I try to be, when I am at the lake coaching, I am 100% attention on on rowing. And then when I go away from the lake, I really try to forget it, to get totally away from rowing. That's why I like to come here on my cabin at, at the sea, because here I forget everything about Do you, do you about think rowing. that's important for... To, to keep the energy and excitement around what you do? Uh, or what's the driver there? That's, yeah, actually, I don't know if I can give you a clear answer because when I was young, rowing myself, my coach always told us, think rowing, he said. Think rowing. He wanted us to, every time we took a decision, every time we did something, he wanted us to think rowing first. So he wants, what I'm doing now, is it good for my rowing or is it bad for my rowing? That was, he was, that was the kind of thoughts he was like us to have. And now when I am 50 years old, uh, I think for me right now in my life, it's good to get away from rowing, not thinking about rowing all of the time. So it depends. I, I would still like, actually, the rower I'm coaching, I would like them to think about rowing, you know, not all of the time, but most of the time. I want them to be in the mindset of and, rowing. And who, when, who was his coach and when was that in your career? Uh, my coach, I don't know if you have heard about it. His name was Bent Jensen. He was uh, coaching the men's lightweight for, for many, many years. And then when he stopped in mm -hmm. 2005, he went to Canada and coached the men, the Canada's men's lightweight for uh, at the Beijing Olympic Games. And then he was sick with cancer and died in shortly after the Olympic Games. So, but, but he was, he was a famous he coach sounds, then. 
he was yeah he was named coach of the year i think it was in 2000 2001 or 1999 or and, something and he, he was coached coach you of the through year. uh the four and the eight and the four all that period or yeah yeah he, he was my coach all of my career on the national team he was my coach mm. well some uh, uh, some of the key things that uh he put uh, into your head that you're using today what would you describe them as Yeah. Uh, let me see. Yeah. What I have learned from him, I would say it's. I would say what what I'm using today is, as you ask me about thinking about rowing, when you are training, and when you are eating. And when you do something else, when you are in your active career, it's you have to think about what I'm doing now. Is it making me better or is it making me what you call it? Is it good for me or is it bad for me? That he, he learned me that. So he said, after you have trained, if you go out with your friend having fun, enjoying yourself, is it good for your rowing or is it bad? So sometimes you can say, okay, if I go out with my friends, I come home late. Uh, it's not good for my room because I have to get up early training. Sometimes you could say, okay, right now I need to go out and enjoying myself with my friends because it's good for me right now to do something else. So he just wanted, uh, wanted us to think, to have an extra thought about our decisions. And that's what I'm trying to use now, that be aware of what you are doing. Is yeah, it helping that, you? That's or what is today it... they call mindfulness or awareness, isn't it? Yeah if, if, yeah, if you want to roll fast, what should you do? What, sh what, what are you going to do if you want to do this? If, it's, if, if rowing is important for you, then you have to do things that is helping you if it... It's so important for you. Go on, sorry. If it's not, he also, if, if you don't want to, uh, sometimes he said, then if you are doing this, you should not be here. It, you know, if someone was not good at going to bed in the, in the night, he said, then you are not, you don't want to roll fast. Because if you want to roll fast, you go to bed early. So you can be, Clear for the you're how ready old, for the next how old training. Were you then, though, Thomas? So he when, said, when you were getting all these messages and uh, I was in the beginning of my twenties. I was when I the first year he coached me, I was twenty-two. Then he coached me until I was thirty, eight years. He was my coach. Yeah. Was, it, was there any challenges with taking those messages on? Any conflict in your mind when you were thinking about, ah, oh, come on, I want to have a break? Or, uh, yeah, when, no, when I'm 50 now and going back, I could say sometimes I was uh, too hard on myself. Mm -hmm. what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Tell me you more. Know, because, because he wants us to be strong, you know. 
he want he want us to be strong, tough guys. And I can see when I look back uh, that I was trying to be a tough guy. Uh, what's not good for me because I'm not a tough guy. I'm exactly mm. the opposite. <laughs> I'm a guy with a lot of feelings, you know, and uh, I am very, if I look at a movie, I have easily tears in my eyes. I get very emotional when I watch movies or hear music. Um, and I could see that was not good for me. Uh, being a tough guy when I actually was exactly the opposite, but that he want me to be a tough guy. Do you think that helped in the racing? Being tough, having those um, feeling. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was the only thing I didn't like about him because, of course, you need to be tough. But when I was in racing, I have no problem being tough. That was why I was in the national team because. I was tough, <laughs> but that was only when I was racing. You know, when I know because what I was good at, I was, you know, I am, everybody's telling me I was gifted, you know, with the technical talent, the boat feeling and all of that. And also as coaching, that is what the rowers is saying about me. Thomas is, he's very good at the technical stuff. Um, and that's all because of, I'm an emotional guy. I have, you know, because I have a lot of feelings. That's my opinion. If if you have both feeling, you have to use your your inside. You know, you don't need to be tough if you if you want to feel the boat, if you want to have the boat running smooth, and you want to look elegant and easy when you're rowing. It's all about feeling. And then you have to be emotional. Then you have to go inside and feel how it is and if you want to be tough you you don't use that if you want to be tough so maybe tough is the is the wrong way to describe it then maybe it's for me when i listen to you it's it's an incredible focus it's a yeah. presence uh being very attentive yeah. to yeah. what you're doing the conditions the boat so yeah. so maybe it's it's exactly. more Yes. holding the objective and the intention, the determination to win. And in order to be a yeah. winner, you need yeah. to focus very carefully on every feeling, the twitch in the boat, through the feet, through the hands, through the seat. It's, it, am, am I on the right track there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You have to be, you have to be so, so focused on what you are doing right now. And I, I remember sometimes I told my coach, uh, sometimes before race, he he said he he thought I was too nervous, and in the end, I was tired of hearing that. So I said, "Don't worry. When the when the start goes, I am so focused that they could that could blow a bomb, and I will not, you know, hear it. I would not have attention on it. I'm just in the boat rowing." So my attention is just in the race. It's just racing. I don't take notice of anything else. I don't hear or see things. I'm just racing. And that what I think is, as you said, the attention about what you're doing is and the concentration and focusing on growing like? fast. 
and that's more important. That's more important about int, uh, that yeah. compares to toughness. So, what what were some of the feelings like when you were lining up for the start? I mean, you, you've got an amazing record. I think we'll we'll put that in the intro for the for the listeners. Yeah. But we, but before that, in my yeah. in my career, on, on, when I was rowing, the when I went home from championships, world championships, Olympic games. Uh, I am only coming home with gold or silver medals. So in the eight year I was on the national team, I had six gold and two silver medals from World Championships or Olympic Games. Mm. <laughs> so I have never tried to come home from a championship yeah. without a medal. Yeah. What were the nerves like, the build-up before? Yeah. I mean, could you, you talk, talk, talk me through some of the, like, you set an amazing time in the four. I told my son about, was it 5.45 yeah. or something you did in the, in the lightweight four? That's ridiculous. Yes, we did. We had the world records. We had the world records. It was faster than the open class. And faster than most men's eights record. too. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... It, it, we were surprised too, because we have done 550 a lot of times. So we knew that was what we could do. And we thought, okay, we could on very good day, maybe we could go 548 or something. And then when we set the record, we actually had, we were at the start, it was at semifinal in Lucerne. And then the start went off. And immediately the stroke guy who had the, the steering shouted up, he could not steer the boat. He could feel it immediately after the start. He could not steer the boat. So we took up our hands just before the 100 meter marks and the race stopped. And the judges came and we said, we lost our rudder. And they failed and that's right. The rudder was falling off, it was broken. So we had to go in, have a new rudder on the boat go out, get ready for the start, and we just raced. And then the Dutch, a Dutch crew was ahead of us from the start and all, all up uh, on, until 700, yeah, just 250 meters before the, the finish line. And then we make our sprint and we just <laughs> left them behind. It was such a fast sprint. And then when we was over the, we, over the line, the finish line, the guy who was in the boat, he was at the number one seat. He uh, just behind me, and he said, Some, "Something is wrong with the, the stroke box. It was showing 5:45." And he said, "Some, it, it's not. Something is wrong. It's too fast." And then we got in, at, and at the pontoon, our coach was standing, and he, you know, took his hand and he just gave us a what you call it yeah. on the back, Pat on a the dunk back. in the back, what you call it. And then he came to me and he's he's he showed me his fist, and then he opened his hand, and inside his hand he has written with a pencil five forty five oh. point something. <laughs> so the time on the stroke box was good. It was so we have just broken the world record with, you know, a lot. <laughs> so it was, it was quite an amazing race because during the race, 
we were not thinking about breaking the world record. We were thinking about getting Dutchmen that so was were you ahead thinking of us. about uh, anything other than just beating the Dutch crew, or were you were you totally in the flow? What what did it feel no, like from start just to finish? Beating them. Uh, you know, in, in, in the fall, at that time, in 1999, we had one goal. Of course, winning the World Championships that year. But we had one goal, and that was when we are at Regattas, we don't want to lose any races. Not even a heat or semi-final. We wanted to win them all. So we, our goal was to win, you know, go from... Each year, we want to win all our races. That was was in our head. So when the Dutch was in ahead of us, the main goal was to get them because we want to win the semifinal. That was 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 driving us. That was our goal to be That's unbeatable. Though, yeah, yeah. That was that was also why I sometimes was so nervous because that was. That was maybe sometime too much. Maybe it's good to go out and say, we just want to pass on to the next race. It's okay to be number two or number three if we, you can go on to the next race. But we just wanted and what to was, win it what all. was making you nervous? It was the, the, the fear of losing or, or not getting first? Yeah, actually, my, my mindset at that in the end, because we have done that for many years, in 96, we won all our races. 97, we won all our races. 98, and then 99. we. So that was actually many years in a row without losing a single race. So I knew at, that each time we won a race, losing was getting mm. closer. Because I know it's impossible to keep on winning. Someday we are going to lose a race. And that, that made me nervous because that was stressing me that each time we win a heat, then losing a race is coming closer mm. and closer and closer. <laughs> so that made, that made me, make me quite nervous and tensed before a race because is it today we and are I, going to I lose? I mean, that, that's incredible <laughs> pressure on yourself. So what, what, what were the techniques yeah. or what, what were some of the routines that you did before the week leading into a major race or when you were down in Lucerne on the road? So what would you, what would you do to we would, chill out and get centered? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I was said when we weeks before race, we were starting to get more and more focused going more and more in details. Tell me more. What do you mean by details? And actually we, yeah, we. I, I mean, you have heard a lot about the British cycling team, Team yeah. Sky, or now Team Ineos. They are talking about marginal gains. That's what they are going out as they are the first team in the world doing that. When I heard that the first time, I said, you are 20 years too late. We did that mm. in the 90s. We did that. We were looking at tell, everything. Tell me more. To get faster. Tell me more. What do you mean everything? We were everything we ate was we 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 checked everything. We talked to scientists. We 
tested everything to see, could we be just one-tenth of a second faster if we do this? Are we eating too much? Are we eating too little? Are we having the right combination in what we're eating? How about how much we drink? We may test about how much we could lose in weight and get fully hydration within two hours before the race. So we did test about how much we could lose and still perform. And we may test about, is it good to go in weight slowly, slowly losing weight, or is it better to lose weight fast just before the race? We were testing about what to eat, what to drink after we have been waiting. We were eat, testing how after the race, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? All our material in the boat, always trying to have the boat, you know, optimized. We were the first crew in the in the world who, if we, you know, you have your water bottle, you have maybe some t-shirts, all that kind of the boat. We were the first crew who empty our boats before the race. We don't want to have race in our boat with a water bottle, maybe with, you know, a little water left, or we don't want to have t-shirts or, short, uh, or trousers in, in the boat. So before a big important race, we throw it all out, mm. Mm. gave it to the starter. So we don't, so everything, we, our seats, we were sitting on, we were putting everything away so we can have as light as seat as possible because the mm -hmm. seat is a moving part. The boat has to weigh 50 kilos, but we took everything out that was, you know, weight, we took out of the boat. So everything that was moving parts was as light as possible. Okay, and how about how about all the rigging and the so we, and the other the oars and the rigging? I was uh, about the rigging. I was uh, the guy. <laughs> I was always wanted us to have check the rigging, checking if the boat, the gearing, everything has to be perfect. So I was, you know, with my coach, always checking that everything was. Right. Everything was have to be in the right position. So the pitch on, on the blade has to be right. And we have, during training, we have tested how about if we take the pin and give it a little outward, you know, pitch. And we have tested everything just to be sure that the boat was as perfect as it could be. As and fast what was the testing procedure like? Is that something you... Because I know you work with uh, Valerie Kleshnev now, but is that something that you, back in the 90s, yeah. I think Valerie was in Australia. Then. Back in the 90s, it was uh, just, it was feeling. Is this feeling good? Or is it not? So it was just about doing this, go out, try to row, try to make some pieces. If it felt good, we thought that this is this is it. If it was not feeling good, then we just said no. That was what we could could do that time. We don't have all that, you know, biomechanical testing equipment. So it was just. And feeling... what were some of the 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 game changers that you can remember from back in the nineties? 
these the I think margin or the aggregation of marginal gains, all these marginal gains, what were some of the game changes that you discovered? Uh, I would say we figured out how to lose weight as a you know on the day before the race, we would like to be as strong as possible, have as much muscle on the body as possible. So we have to be heavy. So then we have, as I told you, we have to, we have figured out how much, how many liters could I sweat in the morning? I could take 2.6 liters. I could take that from the morning and then to the weighing. So we figured out how can we lose all that without using too much energy. A lot of rowers were out rowing in the morning to lose weight. They were out running or sitting in the rowing machines to sweat. And what you use you energy for that. Yeah, we figured out that we go on the... We told our manager we want a hotel. And on that room, we want there to be a bathtub. So in the morning, we fill up the bathtub with hot water. And we just go in. And you just have to be there for 10 minutes and we go up and go in a sleeping bag for 10 minutes, sweating, 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 and then go back in the bathtub for 10 minutes and the water needs to be very hot. Then you extremely fast. You sweat a lot when you do that. Then you can sweat two liters without doing anything at all. And wow. it goes fast. If you have to go to a sauna, then you have to be in the sauna for, for one hour. So to, who, to sweat. So who and came up much? with that idea <laughs> to go in a bathtub and then get in a sleeping uh, bag? That's mental. Yeah, actually, the bathtub was Eskil who figured out that we could try to go in a bathtub because then you have all that hot water surrounding the body and you can heat up the body temperature very fast compared to if you go to a sauna. Yeah, okay, so you're getting your core temperature up and much Eskil quicker. And get the core temperature up as fast as possible. And then, yeah, so that was Eskil's idea, uh, testing that instead of running and rowing. Um, so so we just, all of those smaller, and some, sometimes we met people who contacted ourselves with ideas because we were rowing fast and they wanted to help us and we tested thing out also we on a uh, one time i remember we uh, it, it was a lady she was working with uh, diabetes the, the illness and she wanted us to help her because she wanted us like a a group of testing and um it was about what we were eating, and she saw what we were eating and said, hmm, I have figured out all the diabetes uh, people, they have more muscle mass than the normal Danish population. And that was because the diabetes are not eating so much um, carbohydrates. They're eating more protein. And then she told us, try to eat some more protein. And I just tried to eat more protein, and after two months, I have put on three kilos of muscle mass, just not because of weight training, just because of course of changing my food. Wow. wow. So you had to have, a, you had to have a longer bath then. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's why I said if I could put on one extra kilo of muscle mass and I, in a good way, could lose one kilo of sweat, of water, and I knew by testing that I could have all that fluid back in my body and have it out in my cells, muscle cells and all of the cells that are in the blood, I was able to roll fast. And we have more muscle mass than our competitors. What are some of the other... Sorry, go and on. And also now, now you know, the, you, you know the Australians and all that, they talk about that low residue diet, like it's something new. We did that already then, eating low residue. <laughs> Just before, you know, a couple of days before the race, we start eating that four or five days before. So we did that yeah. many years ago. <laughs> that's that's not something new. Yeah, there's really, really not anything new, is there? We're just connecting the dots. How about uh, technical things? So you, you've done a yeah. lot of physiological changes. So is there anything that stood out with equipment or, or game-changing changes to the boat or blades or foot stretcher that you can remember? Yeah, you know, when I was starting on the national team, we had all was wrong with Macron blade. Then Concept 2 came with their big plates, but nobody wants to row with them. So in 1902, we was the first international crew rowing with them at a regatta in Germany. And I was an an eight at that time, and we beat the Italian lightweight eight that has won the world championship eight years in a row, and we beat them with two boat lengths. Game changer. Yeah. Yes. So after that race, they called us from Concept 2 and told us after that race, their phone was ringing 24 hours a day. People wanted big plates because the Italian lightweight eights were beaten by two lengths by the unknown <laughs> Danish crew. <laughs> so that was when we... I remember the first time we were rowing with the big plates, it yeah. felt like shit. Yeah, and we had to figure out how was the gearing, how was the pitch on the blade. But we could see immediately when we have adjusted that, we could see it was faster. Not just a little bit, it was much faster. There was a heavy men's open eight at that time in Denmark, and I was on a lightweight eight. And we changed to the big blades. And when we did that, we start beating the men's. How long did it take them to switch? It took them two <laughs> weeks. We had to beat them a lot of times during those two weeks. And then they had to switch. <laughs> and what about today when you see, you see all those so big, was, I mean, there's big blades, there's foils, there's different blade shapes, there's uh, what, with the vortex edges, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Anything? Yeah. Have you, have, is there anything that stands out like that change? That is not. Oh, oh, yeah. No, not at all. That what I've seen as the only big game changer in rowing, the last thirty years, it's wow. the big plates. There's nothing else that have that has been near to that. Then you have now carbon rigger in the boat. You have wing rigger. But that is not, it's uh, not that much. It's, uh, of course, it's faster, but it's maybe half a second faster or something mm. on a 2K. 
it maybe but it's not like a big blade the big blade was five six seven mm. seconds faster that's a big change that's a yeah. big change hey thomas yeah. what was your your coach's uh, thoughts around all these changes was he a promoter of of all this innovation and testing uh or was he no no he was if thing was working he would like to stick mm-hmm. with that so I remember when we got the big plates, he was just, he was not saying no, but he was not, how should I say it? He was not very enthusiastic about it. But he, he said, okay, let's do it. And he was not, you know, it actually, it was us telling him after a couple of weeks, this is good. And then he could see we were rolling fast. And then he said, okay, we take the big yeah. plates. <laughs> so each time there was coming some new thing that we were trying to test, he was a little bit... So he's conservative? Conservative approach? He was very conservative. Yeah, he was conservative. and But at the same time, he let us do it. So that actually was... That was okay. That was not bad. But we in it was us guys in the boat who was driving that wanted to find marginal yeah. gains. <laughs> yeah. So how do how do you see yourself yeah. in that light now that you're in his position, you're the coach? Would you describe yourself as the, the conservative coach or the experimenter? What how would you describe yourself as a coach? Well it, from when I start coaching to now it has changed. You know, you, when I was young, I was unexperienced as a coach. And of course, I have getting more and more experienced and learned of my mistakes. Tell so me more. Tell maybe me more I have mistakes, man. I have We're had to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have had periods where I have thought that the coach is deciding everything. I am in charge. I'm the coach. And you have to figure out how much do you need to listen to a rowers and how much do you need to stay with your thoughts and opinions and your beliefs and your experience. And I think it takes it takes some whiles to figure out when do you listen to what the rower says and and go after that. And when do you listen to your experience and to your knowledge as a coach? So I think it's a combination about sometimes you stay to your experience because I have tested that. I have tried that. It's not working. I have done it a lot of times. And when do you listen to the rowers and say, this is not good. I feel confident when we do this. So that is... I think you can only reach that point if you have been a coach for many years. Mm. And I think if I'm still a coach in 10 years' time, and if you ask me, I would still say in 2020, I did mistakes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what would you tell yourself going back to 2010 before the London Olympic Games and your your build-up with the... With the double. Well, actually, that 
in 2012 was where I think something happened to me as a coach in a good direction because I have made results as a coach before, but it was then I started to learn that I could step a little back, you know. I didn't have to be that coach who was knowing everything and who was taking all the decisions. I could put some of that back to the roles. So I, I would say uh, leading up to the 2012 Olympic Games, I stepped a little back, um, but I was still very, I was still said about the technical stuff, it was me giving the direction. But a lot of the other things, it was more a combination about uh, rowing, uh, the rowers and me, it, it was more, dialogue between the roles. Can you give me an example? And only the technical... Give me an example what you mean? Well, it could be... I would like... Actually, I would like them to train more at that time. I would say, we are not training enough. I would like you to train more. What kind of volumes were they doing then? And they said, no. Actually, at that time, we didn't do that much volume. We were only training about 15 15 hours a week, maybe 16. Um, I would like them to do more volume. But they said, no, we don't feel confident in that kind of training. They like to do intensive training. And I thought, yeah, maybe, I, but I thought it was too intensive. But they feel comfortable in that kind of training. So I said, okay, let's make a deal. We train more intensive, not that many hours, not that many kilometers on the water. But then I would have all the charts on the technique. You do exactly what I want you to do. So you made a deal. You made a, you were, <laughs> so you were negotiating. <laughs> yeah. We made a deal, yeah. Because they like to train that way. And, and, and so that's also what I learned. Right now, we are doing more volume. But I'm not afraid of going back to 15 hours a week because I have experience of training 15 hours with much intensity. And I know you can go fast with that, extremely fast. And I know you can go fast with volume training. So I am not in a point where I said, it's volume training that works. I know the opposite works. You just need to be clever. So I about training, I'm more open of listen to the rowers. How do they like to train? Do they like to do volume training, I said, let's do volume training. If I can see they like the training with intensity, I said, let's do intensity training. I know both mm. work. <laughs> so so does that, do I take from that, uh, I'll make a bit of a, a jump here, Thomas, that you, the, the physiology is the physiology. You can prepare yourself, but the big gains yeah. are the technique, yeah. right? Yes. If you ask me, um, I think the big, where you can find speed, extremely speed, is in, in the technique. And that's, I've learned a lot working with yeah. Valerie. Because I was a good coach when I started working with Valerie, and I have some ideas of what was working. And 
when I start working with Valerie's, luckily many of the things I was focusing on was what actually was giving speed. But I've, I have also have some ideas about technique that was not giving the boat more speed. So that was working with Valerie was very good because I've learned what is important in the technique and what is not so important. Tell me more. Yeah, I'm, I'm not following what you say, 100% Valerie's um, directions. He has a lot of testing. So he, of course, he knows a lot of things. But I take parts of what he has, what Valerie has figured out uh, by all his testing. I take the parts I like <laughs> and the parts that I have easily working with. Mm. And what it, some of the direction, I know it gives speeds, but it's very difficult. And if you're not doing it correctly, you will slow down the boat. And I said, so it's, if, it, if, it's, if you take the catch, if you do the catch right, you can find a lot of speed. If you take the finish, of course, if you have a perfect finish, it will give you more speed. But if you... The finish is not as important as, as the catch. So it's the, if the first part of the stroke is good, then you will go fast. If you have a good finish and the first part of the stroke is not good, you will not go as fast as if the front end of the stroke is good. So, so I have a lot of focus on the first part of the stroke, the front end. So, Thomas, how do you square all the, the data that's coming in? Because you, you know, you're a guy about feeling. You feel the water. Don't, don't destroy yeah. the water, uh, the connection. Yeah. You're also talking about marginal yeah. gains, optimization of the boat, of diet, of preparation, of every single yeah. element, even the weight of the seat. And then you've got uh, all this biomechanical yeah. data. How do you then translate yeah. that, all this information, into something that you pass on to the athlete and say, Sveti, this is these are the one or two things we need to, to really focus on to make the boat go fast? Yeah. Yes. I try to if, – if we are working on the catch, and the catch I would like Sveri to do is very difficult because making the catch right – is depending on, let's say, 10 things. So to make a right catch, you have to be very skilled rowers. You, there's a lot of things that is depending on making a right catch. So if we say, I say, let's say, there's about 10 things that you have to skill before you can do the right catch. So I start working this very just on one or two of those 10 things. And when he can do that, I go to the next two things. So I'm only working with one or two things at the time. And then after, you know, when I can see he can manage those 10 things, now I know he's ready to do the right catch. So that's uh, to making, you know, a good catch. It's You have to train a lot of other stuff 
to be able to do. So what's some catch. of that other stuff? Because you've, you've probably got everyone with a pen and paper now wanting to know what the 10 things are. Yeah. And that's a difficult <laughs> part because I can, I can say them and a lot of coaches will agree with me and say, yeah, that's right. It has to be smooth. It, uh, it, it has to be fast. It has to, don't be too deep. Don't be too shallow. Uh, you have to catch the boat, uh, you know, the water with the speed of the boat. And you need fast legs, compression at the catch, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's easy to say. But I can only say how to do it when I am out coaching because I need to see it with my eyes. You know, I have to look at the rowers. I have to be there before I can point out what I think the rower is doing wrong. Sometimes I can be out in the in the boat. I say I could see. Oh, this is good. I have to uh, record it. So I take my camera and I record it. Then when I come in, look at the video. I cannot see it because it's two dimensional. Mm. When I'm out in the boat, it's three dimensional. So sometimes you can see it when things are happening out in the boat. And when I come in, look at the, what I have recorded, I have difficult to see it because it's too Does dimensional. Does the athlete feel and, and see it as well? I mean, it's difficult to see your catch. but uh... The most important is if I am out in the boat talking to the rowers and they can feel what, I am, what direction I'm giving it. Can you feel this is more heavy? Can you feel this is more smooth? Can you feel that you have a longer stroke? Can you feel it's more heavy? Things like that. Um, that's the important thing. Important thing. To, to tell rowers, you need a fast catch. A lot of rowers will go out and they will smash the blade in the water. And that's yeah. wrong. Destroy they the water. They think they are doing a fast catch. They just throw in the blade in the water. And it's fast but it's fast in the wrong mm. way. <laughs> so that's, it's not so simple. It's very simple to, as a coach to say, your, your catch is too slow. You need to be faster. But how does it need to be faster? That's a big question. Yeah, because we, we, we talk about a faster leg movement without forcing or kicking yes. the boat or you know, destroying the water. So yes. What, yes, exactly. To, to transmit that across to someone sitting in a single scale is yeah, very I, difficult. I would, what, do you, what do they need to focus on? It's that coming up, it's the compression. What is it, Thomas? Yeah. Let's, let's take one of Valerie's uh, thing. That is, it's not wrong, it's right. You need to have fast legs. The legs needs to work fast. So I can see rowers around the world trying to have fast legs because a lot of coaches know it's, it's important. But at the same time, the legs needs to be fast, but you, then it's important that you have connection through the body at the same time and out on the blade. If there's no connection, you can see rowers, they have fast legs and it looks, oh yeah, he has fast legs but there's no connection to the blade. And then you are not moving the boat. You're just moving the legs. So you can see rowers 
what you call move the boats. They don't have fast legs. They have slow legs, but they have connection. And that's important. So if you don't have the connection, then it's wrong working with fast legs. Then you need to work on getting the connection. And when the connection is there, the rowers can feel, okay, now I have connection through my body. I can feel when I use my legs, it goes out on the blade. Then you can start working on having fast legs. Then you will be better. So it's mainly you, you have to have connection in the body and the right coordination. So that's what I'm working on. If I want the rows to have fast leg, I have to be sure that they have connection through their body before they're just smashing down the so legs. So Thomas, coming up, to connect with the water again so you're on the recovery you're you're describing yeah. fast leg movement there as well and where is the connection the connection yeah. is through the feet if if you want to move the boats then the rower have to feel connection to the stretcher so the connection has to go from the stretcher through the body of the rower and out, some of the coaches say connection to the blade, and you can say connection to the pin. I don't care. You just have to have that connection in the whole system. Mm -hmm. So if you move your legs one centimeter, then you have to, all of the other parts have to move together. If you move your legs and the blade is not, if nothing comes out to the blade, you move your legs, but there's no power transfer to the to the blade, then something is wrong. So how would you describe that uh, to, a, to an oarsman or woman? It's, a, it's an entire system. Everything you do is connected. Yeah, everything is connected, yeah. And that's where you have the skill of the rower. Are they able to feel it? Can they feel the connection? So when I give them words about how is connection feeling, if they don't have it, then you need to then you need to learn them to feel difference in rowing. And sometimes it's totally crazy what then I go back to to do things that you, you do with a beginner, you know, with a, a a rower who has never rowed before. Sometimes I can go back with a skilled rower, go all the way back to what I would have said to a total beginner that sit in the boat for the first time. Mm. So sometimes to give them the feeling, I ask them to do things that is not right. Ask them to do things that is wrong. So I could actually say to them, try to smash down your leg as fast as you can. And it's not right. It's totally wrong. And then later on, I can ask them to open up the body as early as possible to slow down their legs. If you open up your body at the catch, you will slow down your legs. So I ask them to do things so they can feel difference. If you can feel difference, then you can start finding something in the middle. It's like when you drink a coffee. I can tell you how coffee with sugar tastes. But if you have never tried coffee with sugar, you can only imagine how it is. But it's first 
when you have taste coffee with, with sugar, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's the same with rowers and coaches that you have to make sure that the rowers know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you cannot advise them to do things right. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't know what you're talking about, then you have to use time to learn them what it what the what you are talking about. So if you want you if you want the rower to do something a special movement, you have to figure out how can I teach this guy to do this. So the best thing is about that they can feel what they're doing. And then you have to learn that that's what you can use technical drills to learn them a feeling. And there's a lot of technical skills and a lot of opinion about how to do it. And I would not say something is wrong. It's about, it's about, is this working for the coach? If this coach can learn the rowers to do it this way, then it's okay. It's work for him. It's not sure it's working for me because I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So that's, I say sometimes you have to be lucky to train a rower who understands what you mean or what you are saying. Then something very good can happen. And it, it comes back to uh, what we talked about probably earlier in the call, which was about trust, right? It's getting that trust with the athlete and agreement on the, on the language we're going to use to describe the feelings. And Yeah, I have had, I have, I have had many rowers. I have learned to row fast, but I have... I am having the same amount of rowers that I'm not able to get them to row fast. Mm. Then I have another coach and, and suddenly they begin to row fast because the coach and the rower understand each other. Mm. So, so sometimes there is just what I call, you know, I don't know the words in English. It's in Denmark, we call it, chemistry between people. Yeah, it's the same. Huh? It's the connection, the chemistry, the trust. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. So how's the, um, the the change been with the Olympics pushed over for a year now with uh, Sveti and the training and all the changes? Yeah. I think we are in exactly the same position as every coaches around the world. And it's not about rowing. It's about every sports. The, the coach's big question now is, how do we train? What do we do now? How about the athlete's motivation? How do I keep the motivation of the athletes? What can we do to keep them entertained in, in the time we are waiting for the Olympic Games? Yeah. <laughs> because there's no regattas, there's no World Cup, there's no championships. So that's the difficult part because the athletes will at one point read some some thoughts where they think, why am I doing this? Why am I still rowing? Mm. <laughs> because maybe right now it for many rowers or athletes at all, it it may be what is the meaning of training? And why am I doing this kind of training? So I would guess a lot of coaches around the world is right now doing 
more like training that is more like winter, winter training. Okay. So how do you keep uh, Sferi and yourself also, your family, everything motivated? Yeah, we have tried to say if he feels like taking the day off, he should take the day off. So because he have days where he the motivation is low and I would not push him too hard. So when he feels feels motivated, we train hard and we train a lot. And when his motivation is down, we we take it more relaxed now because we don't need to stress anything because there's over one year to the Olympic Games. So if you push it too hard, then you run out of energy. Are you doing things differently to, to break up the training, like hiking or, or bike riding? Uh, yeah, we had some parts of the technique was very that we said it takes too long time that we can, so we cannot, we don't have time enough to change it before the Olympic Games. So that part actually we have been taking up now because now we have some extra time to work with that specific part of his uh, technique. Um, so we are, we are working on that now. And that was a part we, that we actually had said we will not work on that because it's too difficult for him to do at the moment. So we are trying to work with now because we have time with more difficult stuff in the technique. And what is the, the, the physical training like over the summer? Do you do things differently now that you've got a bit more time? You change away from not necessarily yeah, rowing? Or? Actually, right now we would have to do more in, if, it, if, if it has been normal. We would, of course, have done more intensive training because of racing. And now we are not doing – we have cut down the intensive stuff. We are still doing – uh, high aerobic intensive intensive training, not that much. Maybe during a week, half an hour to one hour of high aerobic intensive training. But we are not doing anaerobic intensive training. You cut that out for a while, eh? We cut that okay. out. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? Just it'd be exhausting him and your twelve twelve months. That, that that part of the you can within. Five, four, five, six weeks, you can be back. If you do anaerobic intensive training, you can have that change in the body within five, six weeks. So you don't need to do it because you can do it very quickly. Yeah, exactly. But the aerobic, the aerobic training, it takes time to do improvements in the aerobic part. So that's why I guess a lot of coaches are doing a lot of aerobic works right now because it takes time. So, of course, you have time to be better on the aerobic part because there's no competition. You can, you have time to do the aerobic training. Yeah. And that's where you, where you can find the, the big gains in, in aerobic training. You think so? So you got, the, you got the, the time to build the base, the bigger the base, the, the bigger the, the performance? If, if, yeah, yeah. If, if we talk about the, the physics in, in rowing, it's, of course, the aerobic capacity that is important. And, of course, then, if you ask me, the technique is also because you can always find speed in the technique. Exactly. 
And you can do that if you are working properly. You can find a lot of speed within short time, within a couple of months. You can improve a lot if you figure out how to do it. Yeah, but, Tom, but if you talk about the physical parts, it can take years to go to world-class level. But Thomas, how do you make it interesting? Because these long sessions are bloody boring. You know, on, on the ERG, you're doing yeah. 90 minutes or, yeah. you know, you, you go yeah. and do two-hour sessions. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it, it used to do my head in. It still drives me mad when you know, do 90 minutes on the ERG, unless there's something good on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, any, any top tips there, mate, to keep it interesting? We can have, if we are training inside, uh, because of weather, example, uh, and we have those long sessions, uh, we try to say, okay, go 30 minutes on the ergs, and then go 30 minutes on the bike, and then back 30 minutes on the ergs. And then, so we try to change it during the, the training. Yeah. And also, if it's on the water, it could be even on the water, it, it can be boring to go along sessions. Then we said, okay, go for one and a half hour in the water, come in and then go out, take the bike for 30 minutes. Yeah, you, you leave it up to them? Yeah, because I said, okay, if you are on the water working on the technique for two hours, it, it's impossible. No, it's not, it's happen, not it? you just switch off. It's not going to happen, no. So I say, you have, if you are a skilled rower, you can work on the technique for one hour, and then then it's then the tank is empty, the concentration is low, yeah. and then the rest of it is just physical training. Yeah. And it's not so important that you do the physical training, rowing. You can easily doing it biking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biking or hiking or running or swimming. Or hiking. Yeah. Area with mountains. It's hiking is is. As good as 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 biking, it's it's. If you can go uphill, then it's 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 enough for training the aerobic capacity in the body. So maybe I can I can hear the kids in the background. I'm conscious I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If I, if I just ask a couple of questions for the listeners, what are what are some of the the bad recommendations you've you've heard that people should absolutely stick away from? Hmm. Well, I have, I, if I associate two things, it's all about, uh, I still see it around in clubs. Uh, people, when they go out to the catch, they slow down a lot, you know, on the seat before the catch. They have been learned to slow down easily slowly at the catch because people think then the boat keeps on running if you take it easy if you are slowly to the catch um, and then ex exactly at, at the finish there's a lot of coaches around the world trying to have fast hands quickly away from the body with the hands and I don't think when I see good rowers around World Cups and championships, 
There's no one slowing down just before the cats. There's almost no rowers in steady state rowing who have fast hands away from the body. So a lot of rowers around the world have figured out with the coaches that they need to have a rhythm where you don't slow down towards the catch. You just keep your your speed on the slider at the catch. Some actually, some of crews are actually speeding up at the catch. Interesting. You can see actually some of the Australian boats yeah. have been. You can see them row very slowly. Oh, oh, almost the opposite. Almost having a long pause in the finish and then accelerate an, yeah. and accelerate. Yeah. Yeah. The four is very pronounced in that, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's that's the tendency that you keep on the speed when you have put on speed on the slider. You keep the seat and almost accelerate a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it's still relaxed. It's still relaxed, <laughs> still relaxed and though. focused on the feeling. Yeah. So, Thomas, uh, what's, a, what's a, a wacky habit that you have or a quick fix that you're famous for? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> and don't tell me it's what about coffee. <laughs> a quick fix. Let me see. Hmm. I, actually, I don't know if I have one because it... it it depends on the crew or the rowers. What, what kind of mistakes are they doing? I don't think there is any. I, okay, I could say what I see is if something is wrong, maybe the easiest part is to try to go in and change the, um, something on the boat. You know, change the gearing on the oar, change the pitch or something. That's a quick fix. And, and as a coach, is yep. there any tool that you rely on that you absolutely must have with you in the boat or when you're going out rowing? Um, if you are doing pieces, oh, oh, um, yeah, interval training, of course, the stopwatch is an important tool to uh, help and guide the rowers. Okay. So as a coach, you need the stopwatch. If they're going for uh, five-minute pieces, you can, you know, after four minutes it's beginning to hurt and the, the technique is beginning to be difficult then you can start helping them the last minute and of course then you need a stopwatch to see where are they in the interval so you can give them advice yeah so you've got to have the stopwatch with you and finally what is a, yeah. what is a book or a resource that could be a podcast or a YouTube or a book that you read that you'd recommend uh, rowers pick up and read and, and use as a resource? Well, I, I will still say in rowing, there's not so many books. Um, so I have two boats, uh, books that I think is, is very good reading, both for coaches and rowers. It's um, Rowing Faster, the newest edition of Rowing Faster. With, uh, it's Falcon Nolde who has um, the editor of the book. Um, a lot of people have um, putting, you know, advices in the book and helping Folger to put the book together. And then mm -hmm. I would say 
uh, Valerie Klesnev's uh, newest book. I know he is coming with a new book, a new updated version. Um, also, very good reading if you want to be more clever on rowing. Mm-hmm. And where, Thomas, where can they find you on the on the web, Instagram, Facebook? I have Instagram profile and I have Facebook profile. Um, and let me see, what is my Instagram? It's Thomas underscore Poulsen, P-U-L-S-E-N. Super. So they can follow you and your... And Thomas, and, with an, and Thomas with an H. T-H. They can find you yeah. and watch your son on the skateboard and you on your daughter's bike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to let you get back to your family. Thomas, wonderful talking with you again. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I hope nice you enjoy uh, your time up uh, in the islands and the very early start with your strong coffee. Thank you. And I hope that the borders soon will open so we can finally meet when I am visiting Lucerne. It'd be super. <laughs> Join me next time where I'll be talking with one of the rowing world's most interesting people. And if you like this episode, you can subscribe so you never miss an episode in the future. Oh, and please, if you like it, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out. You can find out more about our unique training system and courses by visiting whchambers.com.